You're listening to Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Thomas Berceau, president of the National Lipid Association, and I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Larry Kaskill and presented by the National Lipid Association. New evidence on weight loss tells us that the specifics of macronutrient consumption may matter less than general calorie reduction. Yet many folks who did lose weight during this trial gained it back after its conclusion. So what's next? Can we find ways to tailor calorie-reducing diets to each patient's liking? Or is large-scale gastric surgery the next best option for reversing our obesity epidemic? My guest today is Dr. Frank Sachs, professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School and professor of cardiovascular disease prevention in the nutrition department at Harvard School of Public Health. Dr. Sachs, thanks for joining us today. Pleasure to be here. Can you tell me about your study that recently appeared in the New England Journal of Medicine? Oh, sure. Actually, it's a pretty optimistic message for people. I'll just describe it briefly. We, we wanted to conduct a large-scale trial that adhered to really good clinical trial principles that we expect from drug trials and do this with a nutritional trial for weight loss. And what was needed was a long-term study, and that by that I would mean at least two years, and a study that's done in a large number of people to get very good statistics, and a study that had very good follow-up so that we'd have as many people as possible finishing the study. Another very important thing when you compare different diets for weight loss is that you really, really have neutrality in the research team, not only the, the investigators, but the uh, staff carrying out the intervention really have neutrality and communicate that neutrality and, and live the neutrality with regard to the patients in the study. So that I believe we did. We compared four diets spanning uh, carbohydrate goals of 35%, which is pretty low, up to 65%, which is pretty high carbohydrate, and tested different protein and fat levels also. And what we found is that weight loss was the same in all four groups at the six-month point, which was our first assessment point, and remained the same at two years among the four groups. Now, weight loss was at a, reached a maximum at about six months, and then there was a regain of about a third of the weight lost. At two years, average weight loss was nine pounds, and an average reduction in waistline was two inches. Now, interestingly, waist circumference actually continued to go down to the one-year mark, more so than body weight, and it didn't go up much from one to two years, and that just suggests that people were gaining some lean body mass because of the, the exercise program that we had, and regain, you know, what we care about, which is visceral fat, was not so much. So I think this is a fairly optimistic message. People have a lot of choices. Since one particular kind of diet isn't inherently better than another, they can experiment and try different diets as long as they're healthy for your heart and find what works the best long-term. Well, you mentioned healthy for your heart. Which of these arms closely resembles the American Heart Association diet? Uh, yes. Well, you know, I'm the vice chair and soon-to-be chair of the American Heart Association Nutrition Committee and had a hand in current AHA guidelines. All four of these diets express the AHA's nutrition guidelines, which are really quite flexible now. We, we really switched the focus from a numbers base, like this is how much fat and this is how much cholesterol you should eat, to a food-based diet that is heavy on whole grains, fruits and vegetables, fish, lean meats, low-fat or non-fat dairy products, lots of 
of fiber-containing foods, unsaturated oils, good, nice, liquid vegetable oils. So just with choosing those foods, which we did in our study, you you can really eat either a fairly low-fat diet or you can eat a low-carb diet, all consistent with those basic food guidelines. Well, besides the weight as the goal, what kind of effects did you see on, on lipids between the different arms? Was there a difference? Yes. In fact, there were small differences in the lipid and insulin response, and they're very, very predictable. For example, LDL went down around 6% more in the low-fat compared to the higher-fat diet, and that's because the participants in the high-fat diet didn't totally follow our recommendations to eat only unsaturated fat, which is cholesterol-lowering. So obviously, they must have had some saturated fat to meet the higher-fat goal. Okay, so low-fat was a little better for lowering LDL, but in contrast, higher fat was better for raising HDL. Triglyceride went down pretty much the same in all four groups, but insulin went down more in the lower carbohydrate groups. In other words, insulin really didn't go down in the highest carb group and went down nicely in the other groups. So yes, there were some differences in the lipid response. All in all, we considered it basically a tie. However, clinicians might consider something other than you know, a low-fat, high-carb diet for people who are, over, who are insulin-resistant is what I mean, dyslipidemic, uh, like many of our patients are, you know, with high triglyceride and low HDL. For them, the highest carbohydrate diet is probably not the best for them. You mentioned that the average weight loss was modest. After a year, many of them returned to at least some of their usual eating habits. What kind of follow-up did you have with the patients after a year? How often were they seen one-on-one or in a group with somebody kind of holding them accountable? Yes, that's a real important part of our program. Earlier studies showed that when contact stops, contact with the participants or patients stop or really decreases, then they tend to gain back the weight, you know, all of the weight back. So when we started the study, we realized if we're really going to test whether one diet is better than another, we better keep this program going for the full two years and really emphasize the nutritional goals to, in each group. And in fact, we did. We had groups or individual sessions two to three times a month. And the participants who came more frequently had a better long-term response than those who didn't. So the more you're involved and the more you're with some sort of whatever, counselor, therapist, nurse, the better you do. Yeah, that's really true. And I mean, I think to some extent, people can do this with, say, groups at work. I mean, you know, these are counseling sessions, of course, in our study were were free to the participants. It was covered by a research grant from National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute. But But in real life, of course, they're not going to get those kinds of counselors. So what insurance will pay for usually is occasional visits, initial visits, and then some certain small number of follow-up visits. So I think, you know, to keep the spirit going and people could have groups of their own. For example, you know, there are groups on the web, people who blogging, worksite groups where people can really continue to help each other. In the family, it's real important that the family environment is favorable for losing weight and keeping the weight off. 
If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Lipid Luminations on ReachMD XM160. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, your host. My guest today, Dr. Frank Sachs, professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School and professor of cardiovascular disease prevention in the nutrition department at Harvard School of Public Health. And we're talking the utility of weight loss diets that focus on specific macronutrient consumption versus general calorie intake. Did you see any surprises? Were you shocked or, or see something that caught your eye? Actually, interesting that you ask. It's really, really did happen that way. Dr. Bray and I, who co-chairman of the trial, we both really felt that the higher protein diets would be at least marginally better than average protein. But it turned out that was not the case. And then he and I also differed on fat. He felt that high-carb, low-fat would be better, and I thought that the opposite would be better. And as it turned out, it was a complete tie. So we were somewhat, somewhat surprised. And so what do we do going forward? What did we learn from this study? Did it shed any light on kind of what psychological or or social factors will influence whether a person can stick to any of these particular diets? Or should we get rid of the word diet? Yeah, a lot of people have a bad reaction to the word diet. So fine, let's let's try to name it name it something else. Our study, I mean, did not close the door on any particular dietary approach. I mean, it you know, people have written to me and just said, said, you know, hey, listen, I lost 100 pounds on, you know, you can fill in the blank, this kind of diet or that kind of diet. And, you know, they swear by it. And I'd say, fine, if that, that works fine with you. We have no objection. Our study does not refute any of your own personal experience. So that, that's one thing I really want to get across to people and also make the suggestion that you try different things because the key is to find a diet you can stick with. Right. So if each of your diet actually showed similar results, you might as well be flexible and, and kind of move around a little bit. Absolutely. I, I really think being flexible is, is important because really people like to eat. So you want to be able to find foods and recipes and stuff that, that are going to keep the pleasure of eating there. Was there anyone that was willing to keep going after two years or did they say, all right, I'm done? We wanted to keep going beyond two years, but our funding ran out, and with the funding crunch at the NIH, there just wasn't funding available to continue. And I think part of it is that they were monitoring the results. We, as the investigators, couldn't see the results, and they saw there really weren't any differences emerging. So <laughs> it wasn't much, really, it wasn't much reason to continue, because this wasn't a weight loss trial per se. Per se, it was a, a trial that compared different diets. But one thing I'd like to say is just anecdotally, we, we've heard from some of our participants, and actually some were, were on the, the TV shows, like the Today Show and so forth. They did show that they continued with it and were very pleased. But, you know, some of the people lost huge amounts of weight in any of these groups. I mean, we had people losing 60, 70 pounds in, at, at the two-year mark. And I just like to find, to try to understand what makes people do so well. Some people do so well, and other people really not do so well. Is it family environment? Is it, is it biology? You know, there's a theory about hungry fat, like some people's visceral fat is hungry. That's just a, a speculation. Hungrier fat, so they send signals to the brain that, that make it very difficult to keep weight off. So, that, I mean, that's actually something we're looking, in, looking into in this study, where we have a, lot, a big database of psychological factors, and we also have abdominal adipose tissue biopsies that we're studying to link gene expression and the biology of fat to possibly satiety, craving, and weight loss in the end. 
It would make for a great T-shirt saying, my fat is hungry. <laughs> I think we should uh, print those up and, and give them out at the lipid meetings. Uh, did you have a chance to read, uh, I'm sure you did, the editorial that was in the New England Journal by uh, Dr. Catan? Yes, well, he's like a biologically based nutritionist. I mean, he does work like, like, I mean, I do some of that work, like the DASH study, where we feed people total diets, but you can only do that for a fairly short period of time. But the ideal study for him would be a study of pureed food that would have exactly the same taste and consistency fed in a double-blind manner to people to see if one, one nutrient has more of an effect than another. And he even grudgingly accepts you know, in his editorial that, that that's just not going to happen. So he would have loved to have seen something like that, but it ain't going to happen. So in the end, we, we kind of are reaching the same place that we really feel community-based or regulation or some environmental control should, needs to be exerted to make it easier for people to eat less and eat healthier. But where I truly differ from with him is his sort of nihilism about individual effort. Individuals got to be motivated in order for any of these environmental or regulatory factors to actually take hold. You know, if you look at smoking, it's very difficult for people to smoke these days, even if they want to, at workplaces. And people are, you know, demonized and uh, ostracized, and they look like drug addicts sitting out in front of their building smoking. And so if we were to do the same thing in our society with, say, donuts, and when someone reached for a donut, you know, there was the donut police from the business jumped on top of them and escorted them out of the building, and everybody was, you know, totally looking out for everybody's other health care by watching their sugar intake, perhaps that would do the same thing. You wouldn't need to be so self-motivated. Yeah, I mean, I do agree that some social pressure, social standards about food regulations, for example, like putting the number of calories on things in, in delis and supermarkets so you kind of have a better idea of how much you're taking in. You know, I think more consciousness is very important. But you know, if you take a look, for example, here, I, I, my office is in the nutrition department at Harvard School of Public Health. Coke machines all over the place. Yeah, not really. I mean, if you could, I wouldn't, even if I wanted to have a donut, I wouldn't be caught dead with a donut in this place. And, and that, that's because of just like what you say, like with the smoking situation. No, that people really, really care about it here. And in fact, just at the public health school and actually among colleagues, like at meetings, you start to really see people losing weight. Well, Dr. Sachs, congratulations on your study, and thank you very much for being my guest. Thank you. My guest was Dr. Frank Sachs, professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School and professor of cardiovascular disease prevention in the nutrition department at Harvard School of Public Health. ReachMD online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, and thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Lipid Luminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, visit www.lipid.org.